If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Well, hello, boys and girls. Welcome once again to the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Oh my gosh, I can't tell you guys how excited I am to be back on this podcast again. Whew, a lot has happened since the uh, the last time we recorded one of these things, and uh, I'm really, really excited about this episode. My name is Keith Giles. Uh, I am the author of Jesus Untangled and also Jesus Unbound, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible, both from Choir Publishing. And I am joined by my two amazing co-hosts, Matthew and Jamal. Say howdy. Hi, guys. This is Jamal. It's a pleasure to be back on the Heretic Happy Hour with you guys, and uh, I'm the author of Free to Love and soon to be a second book, which will be uh, released shortly. Yeah, and I'm Matthew DiStefano, author of Heretic and From the Blood of Abel, both available from Choir, and I also have a couple new books coming out, but I'm not going to say too much about them yet. That's going to have to wait. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's get right into it. Jamal, do you, do you have... Per chance, an announcement to make? Uh, you mean about what? Well, are you talking about my joke? I don't. I don't want to give it away. Oh, you have a joke. You have a knock knock joke or something? Well, I was just thinking because Keith moved to Idaho. I was thinking yes, about potato, did. Yes, thinking about did. potatoes. And um, do you guys know what my favorite uh, potato is? No, but please enlighten us. I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> Anderson Cooper. <laughs> I don't even get it. Where's the trombone for that? Well, one? no, I mean, like, he's just a commentator, but I really like him. Common. Oh, yeah. God. Okay. But I do. But <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Moving on. What the fuck? <laughs> it's been a while, guys. It's been a while since we recorded. I just had to, like, start us off. Right? But, but I wanted to say, though, and again, I'm not going to beat this dead horse, but we do. I think people do realize that we have a hotline. Yep. Um, and, uh, actually we've been getting, we've been getting a lot of love on the hotline recently. Actually, after the last two episodes, we, we did the, uh, we had our live, uh, podcast recording and we, the topic was the church, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we had the Q and a that, that came after that. And apparently that really touched a nerve with a lot of listeners because we've been getting a lot of love to the hotline, a lot of texts and phone calls and just encouragement. So there's a couple just for time's sake, we can only really get into a couple but i do believe we have a voicemail can we cue that up well hello you amazing fucking heretic uh <laughs> this is ken knight out of texas i just listened to the latest podcast about church and i agreed with a little bit of what you guys talked about but i've been a youth pastor off and on for like 14 years and kicked out of two or three different organizations i call them and, and one of the things i got kicked out for was the fact that i never called it a church i felt like a church is is a is a being, not a place that you go. Because if if church is a place you go, then all the things the church stands for is in that place. So if you ever use the phrase "I'm going to church" or "This is my church," then that thing, that group, that whatever, that then assumes the responsibility of what we're supposed to have uh, ourselves. And so I always tell my kids, and then uh, mostly kids that I've taught that that they are the church. That wherever they go, whatever they do. Whatever whatever thing that they decide, whatever path they decide to follow in their life, that is church. And and how they represent their God in what they say, do, act, uh, how they do their work, how they do their school, doesn't matter what. That, that, is, that is what church is. And 
uh, I believe that Jesus is around all the time and that he is here and I am here. And so there's always two or more gathered that it's not, I think there's a place for fellowship and I think there's a place for worship uh, and that that can be individual. But a church is not a place you go. It's not a place where people gather. Uh, it is it is an individual obeying God's word every single day. And it's part of who you are and your integrity. And anyway, uh, I listened to a lot of what you guys had to say about that, but I'd leave that for you guys to ponder and see what you think. It's a real simplified version, but I love what you guys are doing. You kick ass. Uh, don't quit, and uh, I'd love to talk to you more sometime. Have a spectacular evening. Wow, I totally get by that guy a drink. That was awesome. Yeah. Uh, I love the whole idea of, like, yeah, I think we've got to stop this whole compartmentalization of our faith and uh, – uh, unfortunately, I think we've all been raised that way to train that way. But yeah, the, the, realizing that um, faith is just who you know, and the church is just who we are, and, and faith is just part of breathing. And wherever we're at, um, spirituality is part of reality. So yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I thought that was. I, I was surprised to hear him say "fuck" and then say he was a pastor. <laughs> but I. I <laughs> I, I, I honestly like was like nodding my head the whole time during that. Um, he said he agreed with us a little bit, but then it was like, well, I, I, I think I agree with this guy pretty much what he's saying the whole way through. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I like that pastors listen to this podcast. I think it's, um, yeah, there's something about that I really, I really appreciate. Um, you know, I, um, it's one of those things that it's like, I think cognitive dissonance really reveals itself in Christianity when people, when this topic of church comes up, because people do refer to the church as a, as a place, a location, you know, a, a thing. But then if you were to talk to people, like, I don't know, I don't know one person, I mean, at least in my circles that use that same terminology for church as a location or place. If I say, Hey, do you know that the church is not a location or a place? They would say, Oh yeah, sure. that's all I know that. Um, they'd be like, oh yeah, it's people. We know it's people, but yet there's still a disconnect somewhere in the, in the mind in which there's this con because of how it's, again, all we know is what we've seen and what we've been portrayed, but it's the church is this thing. It meets here. It does this, you know, it's just like, it's, it, it, it loses itself. It, it's not, we don't understand the fact that yeah. everything is just a being is yeah. like just a person. Um, yeah, it's really, really interesting. So I really appreciated that that message from the from the from the caller. Um, that we have a text. So let me get into the text. So awesome, awesome man. So we're getting good at this. Okay. <laughs> Quote. Here's the text from the listener. Quote. Hey, hey there, heretics. As I listened to your ideas about church, Jamal talked about how we create. That's me, by the way. Jamal talked about how we create events due to feeling a lack of community, whereby we think we think communities are created. I agree. If I understand you correctly, if I understand you correctly, that communities are not created. They just exist on their own. What hit me was that we just need to be proactive within the community that surrounds us by simply loving our neighbors. I'm just blown away by how much sense your explanations make. Explanation point. I can't begin to tell you how much of a positive impact you three have made in my journey of faith. Jamal, Keith, and Matt, I feel that you three were somehow divinely appointed to do this. Hearing the different perspectives of each of you and then those of your guests on the show just enriches the listening experience. Thanks for, thanks for providing information, ideas, and theories rather than indoctrinations. 
keep up the fantastic work, exclamation point, unquote. <laughs> awesome. Hey, uh, Jamal, I think you forgot to actually give people the hotline number, though. What? Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I guess I'm just taking for granted that people <laughs> that people know about this. So, um, again, the number is 240-3-HERESY or 240-343-7379. And, again, those, those are really encouraging. It's really awesome to, you know, we appreciate just hearing from listeners and the questions, comments, encouragements. Uh, those are always fun. And I think it, it adds a valuable um, just perspective, you know, I think, uh, to, to the conversation that we're having. So really appreciate you guys taking the time, uh, to actually call in and, and share those things with us. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, it's also something I want to talk about, which is our Patreon page. So we are, um, we have a Patreon page and if you love the podcast and you can't get enough and you want to, you know, maybe hear some bonus content or read some, uh, special podcast or, um, I guess blog posts, from uh, Jamal or Matt or myself or think, you know, just extra goodies and stuff. Um, just as a way of our, we like to do that just to say thank you to those who have supported us financially. You can do that at patreon.com slash heretic happy hour. And we do have three brand new patrons. Uh, we want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Debbie Simpson, Lucina De La Rosa. What an amazing name. And this guy, Chuck McKnight, who, by the way, rocks the house and he and I are in the process of co-writing a book together. Uh, and look at that. He's he's such a cool guy. He's even supporting the podcast, which is awesome. So thank you all. The, thank you for our three new patrons. Thank you to everyone else who's uh, supported us. Uh, we do have a brand new, uh, we have a board game coming out, hopefully, very soon. Uh, we'll have some announcements about that coming up as well. But uh, thanks, everybody, for supporting the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Um, and our goal is eventually to be able to do this on a weekly basis. So please keep supporting us. And uh, we want to be able to do that as soon as possible. Yeah. I want to, can I say a few words about Patreon? Yeah, please do. Um, you know, here's the thing. And I, first of all, I love the fact that we have a Patreon and again, I don't know where, you know, this podcast is free, you know, people listen to, you know, it is, we love to make it available. It is, um, it's ministry, which we'll talk about a little bit later, but I really do feel like this is legitimate, uh, ministry. And, Again, it's free. People can listen to it. There's no charge to it. But one of the things I really, one of the reasons I really like that we have a Patreon is because I, it does give an opportunity for for people to give back. And the reason I think there's so much, I think because we just been so scarred by the institutional religious system, which has twisted money and abused money and 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 tithing and all the guilt that comes with that. By no means am I coming across this way, but I do believe there's something really powerful about, I just think life, everything in life is flow. I mean, breathing is that way. Like if you, you inhale and you exhale, it's just how everything works. I think the world and how everything is interdependent and interconnected is, it's a powerful picture of how everything just flows and cooperates and functions together. I think sometimes we, we, we lose sight of that. So with a, with a service like this with, this, with this podcast, obviously it's free. People can listen to it. We just want to be a blessing to people. But we have a lot of listeners that listen to this. And if this has been an encouragement to you and to your journey, we know it has. Um, but if, if it's something that you like, we want to give you an opportunity to give back because I actually think it's really good. It's, it's good for just everybody involved when people not just receive, but also in any kind of relationship. It, there's always a give and a receive. It's a flow. It's in and out. It's it's it, this is how it works. And so with our listeners, like I really want to encourage our listeners. 
if you've if you've been if you've benefited from this in some way, we would really appreciate it. It helps things work because it's not free to make this podcast. It's not free. It costs money for you know just the the equipment that we use, the software, uh, the the subscription charges. But not only that, our time and energy. Um, just because we all have lives and you know there are <laughs> obligations that we have financially and that kind of thing. So it's not free um, in that sense to do it. So if you want to give back, we it would be a huge blessing. We actually want to get to a point where we can do these weekly um, or we have weekly shows. So I kind of broke it down. Literally, um, 16 cents a day comes out to $5 a month. So everybody in the Western Hemisphere, I'm pretty confident in say has 16 cents a day. I mean, I'm pretty confident. I mean, if somebody's out there listening and you don't have 16 cents a day, I stand corrected. But I think most people have 16 cents a day. And and again, this is just saying, if this has been a, this is how easy it is if you want to give back 80 people giving 16 cents a day, which is $5 a month, would literally put us where we can do this every week. Yep. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. Again, I hope, you know, people listen to things and they, you know, hear things in, through a grid. But I'm, I'm the grid I'm communicating it from is it will work just a lot better if we had this flow. It would help us to be able to do this on a regular basis, yeah. um, weekly basis. So anyway, I just want to say that. Thank you guys for taking a minute to to hear me with that. Yeah, cool. Thanks, yeah. man. And then also, Absolutely. I also need to make another quick, quick announcement. Uh, we now have some swag. So if you wanted to buy like a, uh, we have some really cool t-shirts. We have a store. So if you go to heretichappyhour.com, first of all, you should just go, we have a website. So go to heretichappyhour.com. And you, from there, you can, you can listen to episodes and you can click on the store um, and you can see we've got some awesome t-shirts and, and coffee mugs and all kinds of cool stuff. So we recommend that as well if you want to just uh, wear your Heretic Happy Hour uh, on your sleeve or on your back or in your hand with your coffee mug or whatever. Um, check that out. It's some really cool stuff there. And I think this now leads us to our Heretic of the Week. It's the Heretic of the Week. Hey, I'm Brandon Anderson. I am a heretic. Hi, Brandon. Hey, how's it going? Doing great, man. It's so great to talk to you, Brandon. Um, so excited to have you on the Heretic Happy Hour and excited about uh, your new book, which we're going to talk about as well. Um, so, hey, man, I guess, you know, we always start this off by saying, why is it that some people think you are a heretic? Oh man, great question. Um, you know, I, I suppose that I, I think that a lot like you, um, in, anytime you start going down the political route, you're just bound to get that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I think in around 2007, mm-hmm. um, when Myth of a Christian Nation came out by Greg Boyd, that was a book that just broke me in half. And then yep. I subsequently read uh, Tolstoy. Uh, the kingdom of God is within you. And at that point, mm. like everything that I believed, oh, everything yeah. that I thought, and the way that I even reread Jesus, I went right, right to the heart of it. And uh, all of my writings started being influenced by that and how I viewed government and politics. And so I, I would say right out of the gate around 2007, 2008, uh, that, that was a, a big one. I think more recently, I've really been digging into hell quite a bit. And, um, you know, people don't like it whenever you start questioning hell. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Just ask Rob Bell. He'll, he'll tell you all about that. Right. Right. (laughs) 
So yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm as uh, big of a heretic as you are, but um, I'm right <laughs> Wait a <on> minute. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. I guess I'm I'm a I'm a real heretic. All right. No, actually, you know, guys like me, we really appreciate you standing on the front lines and taking all the heat, so we don't have to take it. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, that's true. I'm I'm just too dumb to keep my mouth shut. So. Oh, well, that's, we that's appreciate you for sure. Well, thanks, man. Uh, well, I, I appreciate you. I mean, I I think I first came across you, uh, your podcast. I'm not. I'm trying to remember how I first came across it. I don't remember. So I think someone might have sent me a link to one of your podcasts. And I, honestly, man, it was this was the Outside the Walls podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I just fell in love with it. I really did. I was like, I love the way you mix music in with your, you know, uh, the things you were talking about. Of course, I loved what you were talking about because you sure. and I are very much on the same page with, yeah. um, you know, the, being that our loyalty sort of to Christ and the kingdom of God and all that. But I just really loved what you were doing and the way you were doing it. And I thought actually you did, you were doing something so unique. And then eventually I think you and I, you had me on your podcast to talk about Jesus Entangled. And um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I tell you. Uh, And then now, yeah. I was just going to say, I I really kind of stumbled into the format because um, some friends of mine, um, they were doing a podcast and, you know, sitting around a table. And I thought, man, that. I'd love to be able to do something like that. But I realized that where I'm at, I just, I don't have anybody else to do that with. And so I started thinking about it and I'm like, you know what? I've got 10 years worth of writing that I've done through blogging and books and everything else. And I just really love music as well. And I'm just really super passionate about music. And I thought I'm creative enough to where I I can't really play instruments or do anything like that, but I really understand technology editing. And so, yeah, I just jumped in and I thought I can do eight to 10 minute podcasts with uh, ProLogic X with all of the beats and, you know, synths and er- everything, all the instruments. And so, yeah, I just, people have been really receptive to it because they like the little short, you know, eight to 10 minute bits, but it's, it's creative. And so, yeah, it, yeah. it's been very, um, very rewarding and it's been very unique. Yeah, man, I'll be honest. Uh, I, that was my first reaction when I first heard your podcast was like, I was so jealous. I was like, man, <laughs> I wish, I wish I could do this because I'm like, part of me is like, Oh, I think I can do this. Yeah. You know, I could just mix this in and mix in some music and stuff, but man, you make it sound so easy. You make it look so easy. Yeah. Uh, it's not easy. And then uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you too. I, I don't think I even noticed that the podcasts were short. Like it felt to me like I was really getting a lot of meat. Oh man. And yeah, realized- it's actually surprising. Like in such a short, I mean, there have been people that said for that eight to 10 minutes, it is so like they have to go back and listen to it again because they're like, and it's not just things that I'm saying. It's things that, you know, we have people on saying and you really have to chew on it and let it settle. And in, in such a short amount of time, there's just a lot of meat, like you said. Yeah. Very cool, man. Um, so so let me, you, you talked a little bit about reading. And, and not, by the way, I want to recommend to anyone listening, if you've not read Greg Boyd's The Myth of a Christian Nation, you should read that. And if you have not read Leo Tolstoy's uh, The Kingdom of God is Within You, oh my gosh, that book, that book especially... Yeah. What's funny is I'm already in agreement with what Tolstoy is saying. There was nothing really, not not too much in the book that was like new to me, but the way he says yeah. it, and, and oh, he is so man. strong, uh, 
yeah. it literally made me step back and say, wow, I don't think I'm as hardcore as, as Tolstoy is, man, this guy is really serious. Uh, really serious, very difficult book to get through. And and it's one of those that you really have to take your time and really let it settle. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when the first time I read it, I, it, it just, it knocked my head off my shoulders <laughs> and I was like, I have never, I, I actually think it's probably my favorite book of all time. And I regularly go back and just reread it and just, just to make sure that it, I'm fully immersed in it. But yeah, super book. And then you've got to read the sequel to both of those. Um, it's called Jesus Untangled. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I, I really, I always thought that your book was a sequel to Myth of a Christian Nation. It was like the perfect follow-up yeah. to it. So great Yeah, job. thank you. And it kind of was in a way because um, I also read that book, you know, and, and I, the myth of a Christian nation, really, I was so grateful for that book, man. I was so glad that somebody yeah, uh, had written, uh, someone who was a Christian had written a book so bold and so powerful in that way. And and it really did get me, I think, honestly, it's one of those things where that gave me permission to write my book, you know, there were because there were things I, mm-hmm. I had convictions about that, that I needed to share as well. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for the free plug. I'll, I'll send you the check for that. Um, <laughs> you bet. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, man. So talk a little bit, if you can, though, a little bit more about the deconstruction uh, process. So I know those those two books had a lot to do with some of that. But uh, what was it like for you, and how did other how, like you know how did it affect your other relationships with other Christians or with other people? Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, I think it was probably uh, just before two thousand seven, and we were at a church, and like most churches at the time, they were looking for a different style of a worship service, and so I was part of a team trying to figure out what that would even look like. And I would say that for the year that we started digging into it and really wrestling through like what, if you're to do something different than what's currently being done, then what would be different? And a lot of people kind of air toward the stylistic things and, you know, something a little more hip and appealing. And I, I think initially that is definitely the direction that we were going. And because I really, even at the time, I thought that was it. You know, I thought it was more a stylistic issue than anything else. And the longer that we met, um, I think it was funny because we we actually kind of um, pitched an idea to the church leadership of uh, doing a, a different style worship service, but doing it away from the church building. and. They they wanted no part of that. <laughs> yeah, of course, yes. And because I think the thing that we were figuring out as we got closer to the time of needing to make some sort of decision is that it was a cultural issue, and yeah. there was just a completely different way of thinking about church and what church is and how to do church. And we we just kind of knew that like getting away from the building would have been the very best thing. And so ultimately what happened to kind of jump forward a bit, um, we decided just to step out away from the church and just ask for their blessing to go on and do our own thing. And so that was 2007. And I think it was at that point where we initially started off with a, uh, a paid staff person, which unfortunately didn't work out fortunately or unfortunately it didn't yeah. work out. Yeah. It depends yeah. on your perspective there. Right. And, all of a sudden, everything turned upside down. I mean, 
you know, the amount of overhead that we had was like 10%. The amount of money that we had to invest into people and community and the neighborhoods was like 90%. Yep. And it was terrifying, you know, without this, without the structure. And th- there was something so liberating about it as well. I mean, it's that terrify, terrifying moment of none of us are paid staff people. None of us have gone to, <laughs> none of us have gone to seminary to do this thing. And now all of a sudden we're kind of in the mix, you know, we're doing it. Yeah. And funny thing about me at that time is that I, d- I really didn't know much about the Bible. And I, I, you know, I, I, I vaguely, um, I grew up in the church, but I didn't know a whole lot. I could give you some memory verses and that's about it. I probably couldn't recite the books of the Bible. Still can't do that. And um, (laughs) so it it was a very strange thing for me at the beginning to be someone that they wanted to speak at least half of the time. And really that, that was the, that was my, my moment because I had to figure out like, if you're going to talk to people about, faith and about Jesus, then you better know what you believe yourself. And so uh, yeah. that kind of threw me headfirst into the waters to really kind of dig around and ask questions and, and research. And it, I, I think that for like the first year, I, I probably did eight years of seminary in 12 months. I read yeah. <laughs> everything. I, I knew. Yeah. And it was, you know, one of the most amazing, but I felt like I was drinking through a, a fire hose. Yes. But yeah, I think that that was it for me right at that moment is that I, I really started, I, I, none of us have everything figured out, but I think at that time, um, one thing happened that just changed the whole trajectory of my faith is that for the first time ever, I found the kingdom of God. And mm-hmm. I kind of grew up and, um, Oddly enough, I, I listened to your Nadia, Nadia Bowles Weber um, episode a while back, and she said that she grew up in the Church of Christ, and I did as well. Huh. And, you know, there, there are some good things about that, and there are some very bad things. The bad things, it's very incredibly fundamentalist and judgmental. The other part of it is, is that you really know, like, Bible verses really well. Um, you know, but I think for me at that time— everything that had been indoctrinated in me and ingrained in me, I really had to start asking questions about it. So, you know, some people have asked me recently, like, where are you at in the deconstruction? And I said, nah, you know, that I, I did that a long time ago. I did that, you know, more than a decade ago, probably, probably did it for a hard two, two years or so. But I said, since then, it's really been about working on reconstructing something, um, that I can call like a faith that I actually believe in. Right. So yeah, it's, it's doggone it. It's just one of the hardest things. And, and you know it, I mean, it, oh, yeah. there's so, you know, one of the questions you asked was what did, um, what did people say or what did people think about it? I'll tell you one quick story. Um, <laughs> so, I, I had surgery. I can't remember how long ago it was, but they knocked me out for it. And my my wife and my dad picked me up when I was done. And we got into the car and I have no recollection of any of this. And, you know, they said, what, what do you want to eat? I was like, I want 
a large cup of coffee from Starbucks. And so they drove me through the drive-thru. I got it. We're driving down the road. And the church that we started was called The Living Room. And um, again, I have no recollection of this. My dad said, (laughs) you know, I I think that you should probably call your church The Living Room Church of Christ. And (laughs) I guess I just went off on him and I have no <laughs> recollection, <laughs> but you know, I think that most people just think that we're kind of crazy and, yeah. you know, stepping out and not having paid staff people or huge organization and all the overhead and the, you know, the, the big building and the, the programs and all those things. And, you know, people do their best to try to figure out what it is exactly you're doing or put, assign some labels to it to make it, you know, official. But, um, yeah, I mean, and there's all the other baggage that came with it, you know. It's just the being the redheaded stepchild and people kind of looking down on you, and so yeah, it's just the the path that we all take whenever you, you know. It, I always go back to the parable of Jesus where he's talking about um, the kingdom of God is like a treasure buried in a field. Yeah, and I, I, that's probably one of my very favorite parables because. It's not handed to you, you know, and and you don't get a map and you don't get instructions and there's no directions and there's not steps that you take. And it's not, and it's like, if, if there's something so, um, earth shattering, something so, um, mind blowing, something that all of, um, all of existence rides on, then why in the world would would God make it so difficult to find, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that it's, it's that, you know, it's the asking and seeking and knocking. It's, it's yeah. people, people actually going out and, and trying to find the treasure. And to me that there's something really beautiful about that. And, and I think that that's, to me, that was some of the beauty of um, kind of walking this path is everything that I had learned up to that point was, here's the steps that you take and here's the words that you say and here's the actions that you do. And then when, when you've satisfied all of those, then, then God forgives you and then you're saved. And then all of a sudden you're asking, seeking, knocking and looking and trying to dig and find, and all of a sudden you discover something that is of immense value that just changes your heart mind and your soul and just blows your mind. And it's like, yeah. 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 You know, that you that's really great. I'm glad you pointed that out. I think that's actually one of the one of the the sad things about kind of the modern evangelical Christian church is that we've become so we're all about answers. You know what I mean? Even if people didn't ask the question, we're just gonna give them answers anyway. And formulas, right? It's one, two, three, you know, four spiritual laws or whatever. Um, but yeah, when you look at Jesus. He was not like that at all. He was actually, he was intriguing. He asked questions. Sometimes, you know, he would ask a question or they would ask him a question. He would never answer it. And then he would ask a question and walk away and not even wait for them to figure it out, you know? And um, and he was always, it seemed like he was always calling people who are hungry, right? It, the, to those who are, to That's those right. who hunger, to those who thirst. And so he's he's really more drawing out, are you the kind of person who wants to know are you are you desperate for to know god are you you know are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness now but the promise is that if you he says if you hunger and thirst for righteousness you will be filled like but he doesn't like you said he doesn't tell you how 
He just says that if you are looking for God, if you are searching for him, if you are hungry for him, if you are thirsty for him, if you're seeking him, you will find him, but you've got to go on on the quest, right? You've got to begin the journey and the process. And that's what he's, I think, really looking for from us is that hunger and that, you know, that thirst. Whereas we're, unfortunately, we've lost that. We're not even waiting for people to show any hunger or thirst. We're just dishing out yeah. plates, and, you know, in an assembly line and going, here you go. Yeah. I mean, Jesus was the anti-evangelist. He was the anti-pastor. He really <laughs> yes, was. Yes, he was. Yes, you he know, was. Yeah. I, I, I always go back to the same account where Jesus was talking. To, I think it was the parable of the sower. And he was standing in front of the crowd and he's talking about, you know, he, he basically gives the parable and then he walks away. And the disciples were like, what did you just do? Like you didn't no even explain it to the people. All you did was exactly. just talk about this guy that sows seeds. And, and and he's like, you know, for the people who have the ears, to, eyes to see and the ears to hear. And they're like, wait, what? And he said, because you guys do, I'll let you know what it meant. But he said, they don't. And it's like, can you imagine a pastor getting up and preaching a sermon that was vague and complicated? And he's just like, I'll let you figure it out. I'm done. Yeah, see ya. <laughs> see ya, guys. Bye. And I think that... <laughs> No, you're exactly right. The heart of Christ is that he wants people that hunger. He wants people that wrestle. He wants people that are continually asking the questions and seeking and looking to find. And, and you know, I think that in the culture that we have in the United States, it, it's almost like, the, and you know this because you suffer the brunt of it for many people, you're penalized, you're punished if you ask questions. And, oh, yeah. And, and it's funny that that, is the way that this faith has turned out in this culture and in this country, because, you know, you have Jesus who is again, the anti-pastor who is very comfortable leaving people to ask tons of questions to, you know, go down paths that, and I mean, kind of pointing to my book, I mean, I say it in the introduction is that, that my book is going to ask more questions than, there's answers for. And and I yeah. actually go out of my way to say, it's not a five-point sermon. It's not a self-help book. It's not telling you how to live your life. But I think that that's, it, 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 I just want to say that it's okay for us to ask questions. And you know that, but it, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to, um, yeah, anyway, I'll just leave it at that. It's okay. Yeah, no, exactly. I think I can remember once in our house church, uh, this was early on, um, you know, people, anytime someone would ask a question about the Bible or they'd read a verse and say, what does that mean? Everybody would look at me because I was the only guy in the room who was licensed and ordained. And, um, and they would say, you know, look to me to answer the question. And, and in the beginning I did, I would answer the questions. And then I really felt like the Holy Spirit tell me, stop doing that. So, yeah. so that I can remember the night we were sitting there. And one of the ladies in the church, she read this verse and she said, what is this? What does that mean? And everybody looked at me and I just said, I don't know. What do you guys think? And I can, and then I just shut my mouth. And then everybody was like, they all opened their Bibles. They all started yeah. flipping through. Well, you know, this part here reminds me of this other verse. And then let's look at that. And they read that. And someone goes, oh yeah, I think that that's connected to this. And then let's look at, then they read another verse and it took them about 20 to 30 minutes on their own of working it out on their own. And they arrived at the answer that I was going to just give to them. I was just going to say the answer, right? 
but then they got it. Like they worked it out on their own. And when they worked it out on their own and they, they got it together, they got that answer. It's like they owned it. You know what I mean? Like, yes, we got it. And that was so much better. And I remember the Lord just showing me like, do that. Right. Uh, Neil Cole says something where he says, don't be the, you shouldn't be the Bible answer, man. You should be the Bible question, man. You should yeah. be asking questions and then sitting back. Um, and that's yeah. hard to do. It's really hard to do, especially yeah. if, if you want to wow people with how smart you are and, uh, you know, all the things, all the things, you know. Yeah. I, it, <clears throat> while you were saying that, I just thought um, way back in the day, there would have been times when I would have been very uncomfortable leaving it for other people to kind of navigate for fear that they would go down the wrong path. Right. Oh yeah, exactly. And, uh, and I imagine that's the way it is nowadays that there are just people holding tightly onto what they believe. And whenever you start shaking that or moving in directions that they're not comfortable with, it's, they can't handle the tension of that. So, I mean, I've been in that place as well. So I understand that. Um, you know, so maybe that's why I show some grace there, but yeah, yeah, man, I think that, you know, kind of pulling full circle. I I think that that's been one of the most liberating things about my deconstruction is just that I don't have to hold all these things together. I don't have to, you know, stress out about um, having every single answer and going through the right steps. It's like you, when it, once you discover the treasure, you've discovered the treasure. Exactly. Exactly. So, Hey man, in the, in the, um, we've got like a, probably like five more minutes or so here. Um, I wanted to, you mentioned your book. You do have a brand new book, which is really exciting from Choir Publishing. And uh, tell us all about the book. What, what's the name of the book? Why did you write it? And, um, uh, you know, what, why would people be interested in, in checking it out? Yeah. So uh, the title's Beauty and the Wreckage, Finding Peace in the Age of Outrage. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know, man, I there's so much division and so much hatred right now and so much animosity and people are at each other's throats and just not just that. I mean, people are going through so much and there's just so much heartache and pain and suffering with just anxiety and stress and illness. And sometimes it just feels overwhelming. It feels like that we're being suffocated. And I had this, (laughs) I had this moment um, in the middle of last year. Uh, I just, last year was really the worst year of my entire life. Um, mm. Kind of really quick here. I We had to put our 18-year-old dog to sleep. And mm. that was in January and February. Um, a 15-year-old son of uh, a family in our house church got killed tragically. Um, yeah. some, friend, some friends of our close friends of ours um, had a healthy newborn baby that died upon delivery. Uh, In August, my coworker of eight years told me she had uh, cancer and within like two months she died and she was 44 with two middle-aged kids, um, middle school age kids and a husband that she left behind. My heart was broken, man. It's still broken. Yeah. And you know, I just started really kind of asking the question of like, I, I go, I went back to those words of Jesus where he said, I came to give you life and life to the fullest. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where, where is that? Yeah. Looking for that. Yeah. And so I just really started wrestling with that. Like, 
if, if I'm to trust the words of Jesus and if Jesus says that he came to give us life to the fullest, then how do we reconcile that with all of this pain and trauma and anxiety and suffering that we're experiencing? And so that was really kind of the heart of the message. And, you know, one of the things about this book, this, this is my third one. Uh, the first two were self-published and this is the first, uh, with choir and, um, The thing that's different about this one is that I just tell a ton of stories and, and, and there's a lot of meat and a lot of, um, I don't want to say a lot, but there is some really deep theology in this thing, but it's, it comes across very palatable and it's not something that's cumbersome. It's, it's really my heart. You know, my first book, um, I always tell people that I felt like Isaiah uh, walking naked in the streets, yelling at people for three days. Um, <laughs> my second book was kind of a tongue-in-cheek slapstick, serious point, but super funny. And this one is my heart. And you know, I've I've received probably a dozen messages um, when people get the book and they read, they start reading the introduction, and they're like geez, dude, you, you didn't tell us that we were going to need like a box of Kleenexes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's really kind of the essence of it is me kind of working through and reconciling um, Jesus's words of coming to give us life to the fullest. And how, how does that even, ha- I mean, is it realistic? Is it possible? Have we become so cynical that, that it, that's even something that we can believe anymore or is it something that is real and possible even in the midst of the tragedy and the pain? Yeah. So, yeah, it sounds like this book was something um, really birthed out of a lot of these struggles and, and questions and, and um, suffering, tragedy, you know, like dealing with those things. And then, wow, man, I mean, I've, I've had difficult times as well in my, in my life and in my faith uh, where things have been shaken and challenged. It sounds like though you had the, the absolute worst possible year, uh, just one thing after the other. And, and then there are things that God teaches you when you go through those kinds of struggles that these are things you could never learn, um, from a sermon or a book or a lecture, you know, the, there, there's just certain lessons and certain just truths that you can never really absorb and receive um, unless you just kind of live it and walk through it. So is there any, can you, can you share something? Was there one just really powerful thing that you felt like God showed you that was maybe surprising or unexpected or um, through, through some of this process? Yeah. You, you know, I think that um, one thing that I don't go into at all in this book, but every time that I write, it kind of fits within the context of something uh, like a framework. and. Yeah some of the framework that I had been wrestling through was this hell discussion that we were just, that I had been talking about with some other folks. And one, one guy asked me, he's like, if, if, uh, if the point of Jesus was not this decision between heaven and hell, then what was the point of Jesus? Hmm. And I said, Shalom. Yeah. And it's, that's an idea that I developed throughout the book is that, you know, shalom is wholeness, it's completeness, it's harmony within yourself, within your relationships, and then it's extended outward into your communities. And shalom is not a 
um, a passive state of being. It's active. It's moving out, and it's transformative. And that's really kind of the trajectory of the book, as it talks about you know what does it look like to live in shalom, and how do we have these practices that can help us develop shalom in our daily lives, and then what does that begin looking like in our relationship with other people, and then beyond that with all of the problems that we have in our world and global issues and crises that we have, then what does Shalom look like as it pushes against all of this hatred and animosity? And so really the trajectory of the book is working through developing this idea of Shalom, which by the way, you know, people might say, well, that's kind of arbitrary. How did you arrive at just Shalom? And the the thing is, is that Jesus in the New Testament says, do you remember that passage in, I believe it was John, he said, I peace, I give you, my peace I leave with you. Right. Not as the world gives, yeah. but yes. Yeah. And so the Greek word that he uses there is Arane. And if people are familiar with the Septuagint, you know, that's the Hebrew Bible that was translated into Greek for Jews who had gone, you know, who didn't speak Hebrew anymore. And whenever they translated the word shalom into Greek, it was Arane. So Jesus is actually saying, my shalom, I give you. My shalom, I leave with you. And I think that we've kind of divorced ourselves from that um, idea that if Jesus is going to give us life to the fullest, if there is life to the fullest, even in the tragedy, even in the pain, even in the suffering, even in the heartache, then how do we tap into that shalom, that peace that Christ offers? And so that's really the development throughout the book. And it, this is definitely the most poetic book that I've ever written. It's definitely the most heartfelt book I've ever written. And I, I really, really think that people will be changed by reading. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I will say, Brandon, um, I think you're a great writer. I think you're somebody who actually is very, um, you're able to communicate and tap into emotion and uh, and, and communicate some really profound things in very poetic ways. Um, and I know, I know there are people who are going to, who, who have been through, maybe they've been through suffering in their past. They've, they've had questions they couldn't answer before. Um, and, and maybe they're going through something right now. And I would really recommend they pick up your book because, because I think, um, there's just, there's something about being able, this is a gift. You know what I mean? I think this is what the gift of writing, uh, this is what it is. How many times has someone told you, um, you know, Brandon, you put into words something that I was feeling or thinking, but I just, I didn't have the words for it. And, um, and that's exactly what I think this book will do for people is that they, they have questions. Maybe they don't even really even know how to articulate some of the, the doubts or the questions or the fears or the anxieties they may have. And, the, and then they certainly don't have any way to articulate um, faith, navigating their faith in the midst of that. And uh, and I think your book will definitely help them with that. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, the one thing that I will say wrapping up is just that I kind of have been making my pitch that, and, and I really thought of this after I looked at the Amazon charts and, you know, saw the book climbing, but, you know, also you look at people who are towards the top and hit some of the names that we actually wish weren't at the top. I'm not going to name any names, but (laughs) you know, my appeal to people is to say there are some amazing writers who are challenging 
um, and really digging into uh, faith in ways that some of these charlatans, <laughs> you know, yes. that are giving people this syrupy message of faith that is so superficial and not, you know, it's not changing anything. It's not, it's not changing the landscape of our culture. It's not changing our hearts and minds and souls and our relationships and reconciliation, forgiveness, and all these things. It's like, we need strong, beautiful voices that are pointing people to Christ. And, you know, we are not the people who are leading churches of tens of thousands of people. We're not the ones who have mailing and distribution lists of millions of people that we can easily access. And we don't have the bank accounts like a lot of these guys do. And my pitch is just saying, whenever we have these great books like yours, like mine, my buddy, Steve Austin, your buddy, Steve Austin, who's launching his book next week, catching your breath. There's your plug, Steve. Um, yeah, support support these books and let people know about it because after the book comes out, uh, we've kind of exhausted all that we can do other than talking about it on podcasts. But it really comes down to people reading it and sharing it with others. Yeah, absolutely, that's right. Hey, um, real quick, let people know how they can follow you and keep up with you. Um, you know, after the podcast, sure, it, really anywhere. I mean, um, to pick up the book anywhere on Amazon, Brandon Andros or Beauty and the Wreckage. Uh, you can go to my website, beautyintherecage.com or brandonandrus.com or Outside the Walls podcast, uh, where fine podcasts are distributed. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, hey, Brandon, I love you, man. I'm so glad we could have this conversation. Thank you for being our guest on the Heretic Happy Hour. Yeah. Love you too, buddy. All right, man. God bless. Awesome. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I love Brandon. Brandon's a great guy. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, I'm glad I, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know much about him, but I'm glad uh, got to learn about him and um, that amazing book that that just came out. Um, I think it's going to be a, uh, I think it's going to be a winner. It's one I'm definitely going to want to check out. Um, but that being said, as we mentioned in our our little introduction bit, we are going to talk about ministry and what that is. And it's a question that, for me, it's it's a hard question to answer because, I, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys, but I've been, you know, had people who send me messages on Facebook or, or comment on my blog, thank you for your ministry. And I'm like, what the fuck? I didn't know I had a ministry, <laughs> you know? Um, because it's it's such a, a, a very ambiguous term for me. I, it's like some people have pigeonholed to to say it means this X, Y, and Z. And I'm just like, it doesn't My what I'm doing is not fitting with that or what the church has called ministry, which we'll get into. And so I'm really stuck on what this, this ministry thing is to me, because to me, I'm just taking what I see as the gospel message of living out an ethic that uh, the Eastern Orthodox have this term kenosis, which means like, uh, essentially like, uh, uh, a self-emptying of your own will to take on the divine will, which is to do good for others, to love others, to have this servant ethic. And so to me, I'm just personally, my understanding of the gospel is that, so I'm trying to live out of that place. And so if, if that's what ministry, quote unquote, is, then, and I think that's what I'm doing, but ministry doesn't always mean that, especially in evangelicalism, or in the church, broadly speaking. So for me, it's that 
what is ministry? I'm not so sure, but I think it would be a great thing to talk with you guys about. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. I, I think the I, I lean much more on the side of ortho, orthopraxy, which is the practice of our mm-hmm. faith, than orthodoxy, which seems to be the addiction of uh, evangelical Christianity in America, because it's more about what we believe, believing the right things, having the right information. Whereas I'm, I'm kind of over that. I'm kind of more. I'm like, no, I want to. I want to move from. Uh, well, okay. I think the the quote that resonates with me that it kind of helped me really put words to this is the. There's a guy named Fenelon, which ironically he's a he's like a 16th century Catholic bishop or something. So you would think, mm-hmm. you would think he'd be really steeped in this whole idea of ortho, orthodoxy. But he mm-hmm. wrote a really great book called Let Go, which is a series of letters. Um, where he was basically guys he's encouraging and discipling in their faith. And there's a, there's a, in one of the letters, he makes a statement where he says, if you stopped learning now, you wouldn't live long enough to put into practice all that you already know of Christ. And I feel that is exactly where I, I have been. Uh, and I feel like where a lot of the church is still stuck, where we're sort of addicted to just sitting and learning and learning and learning and learning and learning and filling our heads with, with information, but we never actually go out and do any of it. We never actually experience any of it, which I, and I think it's intended to be uh, true faith is intended to be something that's lived. Um, and mm-hmm. so I agree with you. I think ministry should be that. Ministry should be how I'm living out my faith. Uh, we tend to think of ministry, unfortunately, as something professionals do, people who have graduated from seminary and have, you know, an MDiv or something like that. And those guys do ministry because they are, quote unquote, ministers. And the rest of us are laity and we just sit in the pews and we're spectators. But that's not what we see in the New Testament. I don't think that's at all what Jesus ever had in mind uh, or, or even the early church had in mind. We, we've gotten that idea now. And I would love to see us get back to something more of, where it's more about orthopraxy, where we, if we're following Christ, we are ministers. We are servants of one another. We are um, embodying this ethic, as you said, of kenosis, right? Um, that to me is what it should look like. Yeah. And um, if we're going to have this, to piggyback off what you said, Keith, um, if we are going to have this sort of like, well, I'm taking on the role of quote unquote minister, we've got it so flipped. Like we see the minister or at least the head pastor as like, we see it in this hierarchical thing. Yep. So he's on the top, like a, like a traditional yep. business or something like a, like a pyramid scheme. And then when we say, Oh, well, well, well the women will be ministers, but they're going to be ministers to the kids <laughs> and they might help out on the worship team right. and they'll serve crackers and juice on Sunday. And, and so, but we, but we put it in this hierarchical thing, <laughs> which is complete bullshit because if we're to really be ministers of Christ, we serve. We don't get served. We serve like the hierarchy is flipped. If we want to be a true minister of Christ, we're on the bottom serving those who we say, I mean, we, de- we declare ourselves the least, like Paul did. We're serving everyone like above us in this like flipped role. You know what I mean? Yep. Mm. Matt, Matt, you make me laugh sometimes, man. It's hilarious. Crackers and juice. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I used to, I remember one time in particular, like, and again, this isn't a knock on anybody, but it, I just, I was, I was affected. I remember I was a fairly new, newer 
convert to evangelical Christianity. I was probably in my early 20s. And I remember, you know, I went to this fairly, fairly large mega church. And, um, you know, there was these like faithful, like just older gentlemen that they, they would stand out and they'd hand out bulletins, you know, or, or they'd be out in the par- parking lot of the, of the mega church helping people park their cars, you know. And it was just like, and they would talk that up like, this is true ministry. These guys, these selfless guys are parking cars and handing out bulletins and, you know, and I get that. And I thought that was, you know, and, and almost like, yeah. wow, that's why they're here. Like on the earth, um, serving the machine kind of thing. And I, I don't, I don't know. There's not, a, <laughs> I guess maybe there was some judgment in that, but it was just like, really, is that it? Like, it just, it, it struck me as like crackers and juice and watch I mean, it's like, is that we, we boiled it down to like, the roles that we play in helping the machine keep running in that sense. I just thought, gosh, man, I, I want my life to be much more significant than that. Not that that's not significant, but then I realized, you know, as I've been on this journey, I realized, Oh, life is so much more than right. crackers and juice and handing out paper, you know, <laughs> or parking cars, that kind of thing. But one of the, the, here's a thought that comes to mind when it comes to ministry for me <clears throat> ministry, like I, I really feel like ministry is human. It's human to be a minister um, because really we're talking about is love and service. It's, it's, it's love and service to other people, which I feel like is a very natural, normal human response. There are things that get in the way of it though. And I think one of the things that gets in the way of ministry is looking to God um, cause, because God can be very a major distraction to ministry and any, and, and, because God is a major, we outsource so much to God. Um, we outsource so much of our authority, our power, our sense of like duty, all these things. We just outsource it to either the, the pastor in the, in the evangelical church. Uh, so he's the minister oh, yeah, he, or she's on. the minister normally he, or we outsource on. it to, it's he. I mean, that, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, normally it's he, you know? And and then you know now that we live in um, more modern times, we've just re- replaced the king with the queen. Not that that makes it better, but it's just kind of the same thing that we just there it is. You know, we outsource it out here, or people you know assign. It just there's so many different ways. But I, I I remember like the story of Mother Teresa when she was in India and she was in, just encountered with incredible suffering and need there, and she she prayed. She was like angry at God. She's like God. Well, are you just going to allow this to happen? Like, like, what are you doing about this situation with all these people just dying and starving to death? And then the, the question was like a boomerang. It just kind of echoed back. What are you going to do? And I, th- I feel like such a, when, when we stop looking to God and when we stop looking outside of ourselves to all these other or outsourcing who we are to all these other people or things, then we start realizing, Hey, we're the ones that have this authority to make change. We're the ones that have the ability to serve and to, which is ministry. Like, like, and I think like the idea that, you know, somehow we let God do the things or we ask God to do the things that we can do that that's where, um, we get off track, you know, but it's just human to be ministers. Yeah, exactly. Like I've always wondered, you know, we, in my context growing up, it was like, you know, uh, join the children's ministry or the youth ministry or the prayer ministry or the whatever minute, you know, blank, whatever it is, fill in the blank ministry. And I thought, why don't we just call it loving people instead of saying ministry? Yeah. Just, why don't we just say, let's go love on some kids. Let's go love on some old people. Let's go love on some homeless people. Well, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Yeah. Well, love on some kids. The Catholic church has been doing that for far too long. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm speaking in the sense of truly uh, expressing the, the agape love. I'm just right. fucking around. I know, I know where you're going, man. Don't go there. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, people have gone there too much. Uh, but I think, yeah, in other words, like, let's just, let's just take off this idea of ministry like it is some kind of a job or some kind of a office or some kind of a duty that we do only when we're in a certain holy place at a holy time on a holy day and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, it's just, do we love, do we love people? And if we do love people, then we just love whoever's in front of us, whoever's, you know, uh, who needs it, right? Who, who do we minister to? And this is, um, this is something that is lost it, with the current structure of church that we have today in the West, as you were saying, you know, this hierarchical top-down thing where there's this CEO, usually a man who's the boss, and then below him are deacons and elders, and then below that are Sunday school teachers and, you know, the guy who makes the coffee and the guy who greets and passes out bulletins and the guy in the, who's in the parking lot ministry or whatever. Um, instead of looking at like that, what we see in the New Testament are there are 58 one another statements or commands in the New Testament, 58. And, and really under the current structure that we have of church in America today, in the West today, most, most of those are impossible because what they are commands is that for everyone in the body to encourage one another, to teach one another, to bless one another, to, but actually half of those 58 one another's are loving one another. Uh, and then the other half are, the specific ministries, right? Um, and so those are kind of lost. Like you really can't effectively operate in the, the 58 one another's um, in the, the way churches are currently constructed. Because really most of those 58 statements, we're all expecting that Pastor Bob is going to do that, right? That's his job. Uh, we don't have an expectation that, oh, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm empowered to do that, right? Um, well, and so I don't know. Well, and and that's uh, it. Made me think of something like, okay, so when we think of ministry nowadays, and we think of the hierarchical church and the whatever church we want to call it, uh, evangelical church was my context. It's like you see these things and you practice them when you're at church, quote unquote. Right. You know what right. I mean? Right. And so, and so we have these. Oh, well, we go to do the children's ministry. And we're going to we're going to work, you know, at 9 a.m. And we're going to be there for the kids when, you know, they go to Sunday school and then they go back to their parents and then our ministry is over. Mm -hmm. But if we think about like these one another statements and we say that's our ministry in the world, always at all yes. times, in yes. all places, it yes. totally changes. Because I tell you what, the most gossiping people I have ever been around are people who go to church every Sunday. Yep. And you've got these statements of like, don't grumble among one another. John six, right? And and how many times have we had these grumblings in the board meetings or the elders or the deacons and they're all talking grumbling? Be at peace with one another, Mark nine. Yep. Accept one another. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. And then I sit here and and I haven't been going to church for a long, long time, but I still know people who who go to the same building we call church that I went to for years and years and years, and I'm hearing gossip over and over and over, and I'm like. Do, is is church just something we do for a couple hours on a Wednesday night Bible study and on Sunday morning, and we're going to call ourselves ambassadors for Christ and all this yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. But then we're gonna we're gonna miss all of the stuff we're supposed to do as ministers every day with all these one another statements, and and we're rarely doing them for in our daily lives, which is really the frustrating part. Yeah, you know, I think here's a thought that comes to mind. You know, and I I love what you said, Matt, about. 
yeah, and John six, you know, <laughs> like you know, we 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 can read what it says there, but then grumbling and gossip and all these things are are commonplace amongst quote unquote traditional or people who are who are going to church every Sunday, participating in the religious system. If you anything you take out of its proper context, I really believe loses its power. So, for example, you know, if 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 people are looking to a book like the Bible or going to a church on Sunday, listening to sermons to to be instructed on how to live, by and large, that's why it never happens. Because that's that's <laughs> wait a minute, like think about like what 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 did we do before there was the Bible where we could read that there's 58 one another's? What did the people who are talking I mean like I always say this about the book of Acts. What did the people in the book of Acts who are being described in the book of Acts do because they, they didn't read the book of Acts? Like, like how is it that we – is it possible that we could actually live human-loving lives apart from reading it in a book or listening to a pastor instruct us on how to live our lives? I think that actually is part of the problem. That's why people who read their Bibles rarely live it. That's why – because you're looking, they're looking to a book to tell them how to live when that's the problem. You can't look at a book. You can't listen to a sermon. If that's, if that's your source of where you're living from, you're going to live defeated. I mean, I kid you not for me personally, I used to, I used to like want to do, I mean, when I, I went to, you know, major Christian university, the motto was do something great for God. I used to have these daydreams about doing these huge, you know, significant things in the world to make my mark on Christianity and, 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 and prove to God that I was, you know, a, a well, a, a, a faithful servant and all these kinds of things. And now like I get just as much fulfillment when I make a cup of coffee in the morning for my girlfriend. I, I'm not saying that I, I actually, it feels just as significant uh, whether I'm speaking to a thousand people or I'm making a cup of coffee in the morning because I'm connected to the essence of love. And it's like, whatever I do from love and service it blows. It literally is like this is this is what life is about. But again, I didn't have to read that in. Uh, I didn't have to read that in the New Testament to make my girlfriend a cup of coffee in the morning. Actually, if I read it in the New Testament, I probably wouldn't do it. It's like yeah. this is because you're so punk rock connected to the essence of love. It's like what's what motivates. I mean, that's yeah. really where life is lived. Yeah, I, I would say, and you know, I know I, I wrote a whole book about our relationship to the Bible, so I I tend to agree. Uh, that sometimes the Bible gets in the way. But I would just say, what going back to what you were saying, Jamal, at the beginning, um, I, I think it's actually okay for Christians to refer to the Bible for how to live. It depends on what they're reading. And I think the problem is they're very selective in the kinds of things uh, that they pay attention to, uh, rather than things like, you know, love your neighbors yourself and um, and those kinds of things. Like, I think we've unfortunately allowed, we're very selective. And I think we're selective about the wrong parts of scripture um, for the way we choose to, uh, the things we choose to follow and things like that. Like, I want to talk about the, um, the, like the five-fold ministry because um, this is something I drilled into my head. In fact, when we started our house church, there it is, take a drink. When we started our house church 11 years ago, one of the things that people who were against me, some of the pastor friends that I had were like, don't do this and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, this is a bad idea. Um, they actually, one guy actually told me, one of my pastor friends told me that he couldn't support what we were doing because we, we couldn't, we didn't have the fivefold ministry. Now, if you don't know what the fivefold ministry is, it comes from Ephesians chapter four. And there's a, uh, in Ephesians chapter four, Paul 
I'm just going to read it to you. Paul says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So people have taken that scripture, kind of pulled it out and said, aha, there's something there called the fivefold because Paul lists five different offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And therefore, every church must have these five things or it can't be a real church or it can't be healthy and it can't function, blah, blah, blah. And so I had people use that against me in the beginning of our, of our house church getting started was that, well, where's your apostle? Where's your uh, prophet? Where's your evangelist, et cetera. And the problem with that was a couple of problems with that. Um, one of them is, and I think we've already touched on this, this idea that, well, there's an office that, you know, as if, as if there's only one guy who's the apostle for the church. And then there's another guy who's the prophet. Like these, these are like their jobs, right? Mm. Or job descriptions. Rather than saying, no, the Holy Spirit empowers people when those things are needed uh, in the body, then that person, male or female, young or old, slave or free, gay or straight, right? Regardless of those things, because in the body of Christ, those things don't matter anymore. The Holy Spirit will empower uh, one of us when, the, when those things are needed uh, to fulfill that function as it's needed. Uh, the other problem is that with the, that I have with the fivefold ministry is that Paul also wrote to the Corinthians, and in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Paul gave the Corinthians a completely different list. In fact, he added three to the list, and he, now he has an eightfold list. So in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Paul told the Corinthians, God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and helping, guidance, and tongues. Well, that's eight, right? No one ever talks about the eightfold ministry. Why is that? Um, I have I have some ideas about that. One of the reasons I think is because pastors only appears in the Ephesians, and we really are very pastor-centric. So we're going to want to ignore any lists that don't include pastors. Mm. Um, but but here here's the thing. And then, and then mm. in Romans 12, 28, uh, there's a sevenfold list. So in, in Romans 12, 28, Paul wrote to the Romans and gave them a different listing of gifts with a di- completely different order. Uh, he says, um, we have many different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. It is teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then, then, then encourage. If it is giving, give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. So here's the, here's the thing. Like if I, let's say I was a Christian in the church in Rome and I get this letter from Paul and Paul says, Paul describes something called a sevenfold ministry. Well, then I'm going to run around saying, nope, you got to have the sevenfold ministry. But what if I'm a Christian living in Corinth and I got this letter from Paul, the same guy, but he gave me an eightfold list, right? And the, but, but there's another guy who's a Christian in Ephesus and he's got a fivefold list. Number one, let's understand Christians didn't act that way. <laughs> At that time, they didn't run around thinking, oh, Paul gave us this hard-coded list of things that it only is these five things or these seven things or these eight things. That's not what Paul's trying to do, I think. Paul's just trying to say, look, mm-hmm. in the body as needed, the Spirit gives various kinds of gifts to various different people. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, as needed for the building of the body. And, and going back to Ephesians 4, what I think is, this is where we get the whole fivefold ministry, right? Um, again, we misunderstand that verse because we act as if 
all the ministry must be done by these apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But that's not what it says. It says, it says Christ gave those five uh, you know, uh, functions or, or giftings. He says, quote, to equip his people for works of service. And again, that's the one another's, the 58 one another's. That's what we've missed. We've still made it into this professional thing where only certain people with these certain hierarchical giftings, they do the ministry. But that even if we're really following what the, what the scriptures say, that isn't the idea. It's meant to be all of us doing the ministry to mm-hmm. and through and for uh, the spirit and for one another. Like that's what it's meant to be. It's a symbiotic kind of thing. Um, and it's, again, it's not, I think mm-hmm. I said this in the previous mm-hmm. podcast, it's not to build you up. If you've got the gift of teaching, it's not to make you say, look at me, I'm a teacher. No, you're, you have a gift of teach because it's for someone who doesn't understand something. And it's more, it's more important to help a brother or sister understand something. That's what's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, you know, if you look at the early church or you look at, you know, I think they were getting a, a snapshot into what it, what it can look like when you're connected with your, <clears throat> with the essence of who you are. Yeah. Like the early church, it was like, I, I, the way I look at it is, you know, the, the founding fathers of the United States, <laughs> they wrote, you know, all humans, I mean, it, their, their words with all men, you know, are, are, are created with certain unalienable rights you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And then the way they understood that in their context within their day was, yes, these, these realities apply to white males who yes. are landowners. Yes. The white male landowners, but the idea, the true, the, 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 the inspired, if you want to say that the inspired thought was all humans are created, come from the same source and have the same unalienable rights. So that's an inspired thought. It just in their context in their day, only carried out to white male landowners. And we obviously, the more you take this truth and unpack it, the more you realize, oh, okay, it, it, it's a little bit broader than white male landowners. <laughs> you know, like yeah. this can, so like obviously that seems obvious to us today, but I, I actually think the same thing's going on in with the early church. I mean, I think, you, you know, Jesus came and, and revealed a new way to be human. And People like Paul and, you know, he, there, there's a social experiment going on. He's writing letters to certain communities. And then in their mind, this is where that gets fl- fleshed out and, and is seen is in this, these small little tribal communities. But I actually think the more we take the, the truths and the reality of this new way of being human that Jesus embodied and revealed to us, the more we realize this is just what it means to be human. If you look, it's not just in the church. In, in, in human society, when it's functioning, when people are functioning and loving each other, you see these giftings, so to speak, in people naturally. Like the people, people are naturally teachers or right. when they need, you know, people are naturally proclaimers of, of, uh, or exhorters, um, you know, or, or, or uh, people, yeah. people yes, are sent out to deliver messages to, you know, to, to people love to travel and experience new cultures and bring, you know, liberating truths into certain cultures. And, you know, all these things that we would attribute to church offices, it's just, these are just human, natural human functions. That's just my understanding of it. The more I move down this journey. Do you think, no, let me ask you yeah. there, Jamal, cause I, I'm curious what you think about this. Cause like I, I agree on one level that some people are naturally certain ways, but don't wouldn't you also say, because I would say, that there is a Holy Spirit who does fill us and empower us and gift us with certain things as well? 
Well, of course, but where is that spirit? It, it, to me, that spirit doesn't come from the outside. It literally resides, this spirit, which is God's spirit, and then we, we, we would say, okay, well, that, that lives inside of us. But I think this is where the mystery comes in. We cannot tell the difference, in my understanding, we cannot tell the difference between God's spirit and our spirit. It's like tea and water. The, the fusion, is it's a mystery. Like you can't, these are inseparable things. So that's why I always encourage people to get in, get, to get in contact with their truest essence of who they are because it's from that place that we begin to live like, because what are humans? Humans are mirrors and expressions of divinity. And when we live from our truest self, now, the writers of Scripture would say, well, the Spirit fell on them, and they, people operated from the Holy Spirit, because they still are living in this dualistic dis- place where this major distinction is being made. But I don't actually think that distinction can be made. Um, I think we can say that God has a Spirit and humans have a Spirit, but what, what is, where does one begin and one end? We don't know. And maybe we shouldn't know, because there is no dis- we're one. <laughs> it's, it's this mystery of oneness. It's, it's not something that, should be, that we should make a, a big distinction out of. So... It, it, is it the spirit of God? Sure, but it's also our spirit. You know, um, yeah. Th- this could, yeah, this could take us into another tangent, mm-hmm. but um, I'm very tempted to do that, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> 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 but uh, it's a good conversation to have. I was just thinking the other day about that. Like, it sort of likes to say, um, like a wine glass can be filled with wine, and it's intended to be. If it's a wine glass, that's what it's intended to do. It's 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 created to be filled with wine. And so when a wine glass is filled with wine, it is doing what it was intended to do. And now it's filled with wine. And so you would say that's a glass of wine, but the glass isn't the wine. The wine is in the glass. Yeah. But, but we are, we are the wine and we are also the container of the wine. We're also the glass. I don't say that we're not, we're the glass and not the wine. We're the glass. And I the would wine. say it's possible for it there to be a glass that isn't filled with wine. Yeah, I don't believe that. That's that's where that's where you and I would disagree. Yeah, I don't. Anyway, let's let's not let's not go down <laughs> that rabbit hole. Uh, I think there's yeah. some <laughs> um, some maybe a chance for us to do maybe tell some personal stories of ministry outside of the sort of traditional framework or context uh, that we've experienced. What? Well, yeah. Oh, I've got a I've got a quick something oh, yeah, to say, and it and it'll be a, there'll be a little person. No, there'll be a little personal story in there, so that's a perfect Good. flow. Um, I was thinking about all these, you know, five, eight, seven fold ministries. And I'm thinking like, you know what? There is certainly truth that some of us are better at some things than others. Um, I would certainly look at, let's say the five fold ministry and say the pastors. And I would not include myself in that. I've never been an ordained pastor. I've never pastored a church. However, I've been accidentally pastoral just by living out of this place of other-centered love. And I'll give you one quick story, and I'm not going to say this person's name. There is, I have a friend who I was talking to one day. I talked to him a lot online, especially. Um, and he was having a very difficult time with some certain things that were going on in his life, and he was suffering from depression and anxiety at a very low place in his life. And just, I had like, I guess the... Uh, <laughs> What, what do they call it in pastor talk? Like, it's like, like where you just sit and yeah. listen. Um, you don't really say much. And it turns out that this person did not commit suicide. This is how bad it was for him because of that conversation yeah. I had. And I cannot look back and say I did anything. But I, I would say that if I had to be like, if I was, if I was judging this, this moment in time and putting a label on it, I would say I was being 
I was being pastoral. Yes. And I, I don't I don't necessarily know how I was. I was just listening. And, and I didn't know it was as he didn't he didn't tell me it was as bad as it was in the time where he but it was only after we was like, you know what, I was really to the point where I was going to commit suicide until we had this conversation. And I was just like, damn, like I could have been too busy. I could have had to rush off to go do something. I could have wanted to take some care care of some errands that I might have had to do that day. But it was just like if, if you're just really present and you're really contemplative um, and, and you're really just always trying to be in the moment, it was like there was something, I think, calling just to listen to this person, not to say anything, not to have any great advice. You're not going to fix things for people. But but we can be all these things in this ministry at different times. And yes, some of us might teach more often than be pastoral. Some of us might be pastoral more often than being mm -hmm. prophetic. But in all places and all times, we, men, and let's emphasize women should and my God should be doing all the same things that men are doing in the church. And I'll stand by that till the day I die. Uh, we all can be all these things at different times at different places and in different circumstances. So that's my accidental ministry. I love that. No, I, I love that. And, and you, know, you keep saying you didn't do anything, but I would say you did. You listened. And I think for many people, they don't realize how the power, what a powerful ministry it is to listen to people. Most people, sure. there's a great quote. I can't remember who said it, but I, I have it printed out um, and I have it on my desk. And it says, um, listening to people is so close to loving them that most people can't tell the difference. Mm. Mm. And it's true. It's like listening to someone is is so close to expressing love for someone because most people don't listen. Um, so yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing. Actually, yeah. the ministry of listening is is a very powerful thing. Yeah, and I I think there's just so many stories that come to mind, personal stories about. Um, to me, they they speak of like this is true ministry, but it's just I remember be, being on the Camino um, a little over a year ago. Um, took this trip to Spain. It was like a 500 mile journey. And, you know, there's a saying on the Camino that, that the Camino provides. I mean, this people that do the Camino, I mean, they're from all different kind of faith traditions. They're coming from different countries all over the world. And they're just, they just understanding that when you're on this strip of the strip where you're walking, people have been doing this pilgrimage for, you know, thousands of years, like everything you need will actually be there for you when you need it. I personally believe, and of course the idea of the Camino is, it's just a snapshot of life. So people come to the Camino with this expectation that, hey, everything I need will be there when it's there. And suddenly that they, that's what they experience. But I think we find whatever we're looking for in general. So I'm, I'm convinced though that in life, not just on the Camino, whatever we need, we, it's actually present when we need it. And all we need to do is perceive it. Um, again, if you don't perceive it, then you don't see it, even though it's right in front of you. But like, I remember on the Camino, I was, uh, obviously it's, you know, you're walking like 15 miles a day and after day in and day out and day in and day out of 15, you know, back to back to back 15 miles a day, walking with a pack and all that kind of thing, you know, I started to get blisters and my, my feet, like I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, <laughs> prepare my feet. Right. And I started to get some major blisters on my feet and, you're supposed to bring, okay, and apparently I didn't like look into the directions uh, of how to like be a good pilgrim on the Camino, but you're supposed to bring like needles and uh, thread to like, so you can like poke a hole. It's kind of gross, but you poke, you know, you, you puncture the blisters and then put thread in it so they can stay drained. Then you have like these different kinds of ointment and wraps and stuff you put on. I didn't have any of that. I had zero, nothing. <laughs> I remember being, uh, getting to the end of the day and we were getting to the place where we stayed this hostel 
and my feet, I could not go another day. Like I was not going to be able to walk. Then, and I, we were pretty. I mean, it was only like a weekend or something, maybe a week and a half into the to the to the Camino, and I was just like in excruciating pain. And there was like these group of like guys who had just graduated from high school, and they were all that their goal that was their graduation present uh, a bunch of these guys were going to walk the camino they were from the united states and they saw me limping they were like man what's going on with you i'm like ah oh, my my feet are just covered in blisters they're like oh you know what we're going to get ready to eat after dinner meet us in our room we'll hook you up and i was like really and they're like yeah totally we, we we've been dealing with this like we, we we got all the equipment everything you need man we got it we we got we got you covered and i was just like so overwhelmed with gratitude i was not going to be able to finish I mean, I was just getting started and like, anyway, so like, you know, after dinner, I come to the room and man, I pop my feet up and these guys like did surgery. It was like they were doing surgery and some of them were, you know, going to, you know, had a, were aspiring medical students and that kind of thing. And that's what they wanted to study. And man, they just did surgery on my feet. Um, and they just hooked me up, gave me all the supplies I needed, bandaged my feet, wrapped it. And this had nothing to do with like, because I was a part of their church or it had nothing to do with like, you know, similar beliefs or anything like that. It was, they were just looking, they were just noticing a, a, another person and that this person had need and there, they happened that, and they just were like, Hey man, the Camino provides like, and, and I experienced that, you know, in little ways and different, in different venues and different avenues with different needs I had through the entire 500 mile trek. And I, but that's been the story of my life too, as well. Yeah, you know? Yeah. That's sweet. I, I have a real quick story of something like that. I, um, when we were doing motel, we started the motel ministry probably like 13 or 14 years ago. And this was basically realizing there were a lot of people living in poverty in Orange County and they were living in motels. And we were passing out boxes of food to people in the motel. And we had sort of signed people up ahead of time, like the week before, like, hey, do you need this? And what's your room number? And so we were then, we had only so many boxes. So I think we had like 30 people, 30 rooms. We had 30 boxes. So we were delivering the boxes to the, to, to the rooms for people that signed up. And this one lady, her name is Dorothy, uh, lived alone. Her leg was, she had like a, an infection in her leg. She could barely walk. It was really swollen, really bad. And we knocked on the door. She opened the door, gave her the box. She was so happy. She was in tears. And she opened the box. She opened up her pantry. And I'm not kidding you. There was like one can of food on her shelf. And so she desperately needed this food. And as she is unpacking the box, and, and filling up her shelf, this random lady came by who we didn't know. And she just saw us passing out boxes of food. And she says, oh my gosh, you guys have food. I'm so hungry. Do you guys have any extra food? And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. These are, we only have boxes for the people that signed up. And, and as I'm telling her that, Dorothy says, oh, hang on, you know, hang on, honey. You know, look, I don't need this and I don't want that. And she gave away half of that box to this total stranger. And dude, it just blessed my heart so much. I was like, whoa, I learned so much from that ministry, from those people. You know what I mean? Like they taught me what, what giving was. They taught me what hospitality was. They taught me so much. I mean, I, I witnessed so much genuine uh, love and concern uh, for other people, for e even for total strangers. Like these people who had nothing were so willing to share what they had, even when they had next to nothing. Uh, when I saw stuff like that, that, that blew me away. And that to me is, that's real ministry. And I think that's closer to the kind of ministry that, uh, that this is what makes God's heart sing. You know what I mean? This is, this is beautiful. This is the kind of thing of, uh, 
what he were invited into. Totally. Uh, it's, yeah, and I think that's just a beautiful thing. And Keith, every day I have, I'm, I'm reminded yeah. every, every day, every morning I get up and I look at my refrigerator, at this refrigerator in my house that yeah. keeps my food cold. And I'm like, dude, my refrigerator, most people don't know this, but just a few weeks ago, we moved up into this new place in the mountains. And two days after being there, the refrigerator conked out. And like we needed a refrigerator, it's, it's kind of expensive to buy a refrigerator. And Keith announced that he had a refrigerator he was going to give away because he's moving to Idaho. And like at the exact right time, able to pick up a refrigerator and now this is like in the kitchen in our house and every day i'm reminded of like how everything that we need comes to us at just the right time through other people and i love it amen that's cool yeah yep i think that's that's especially true when we're all the more of us are actually listening to the heart of god you know yep yep good stuff fellas hey do we have a we have a hotline And a website and a store. And a website. A Patreon. Patreon. Patreon page. Yes, yes. yes.